dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The story of Wilbur and Oliver Wright has captivated our hearts for more than a century. In their lives, we see an example of innovation being the first in flight and proving the impossible can be done. But their story is more than just daring. It involved a lot of planning and strategy and their ability to make good decisions. St. Thomas Aquinas concurs. Great leadership begins with dreams, but great dreams need great strategy for execution. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be with you as we continue our class here on St. Thomas Aquinas and what he teaches us about leadership. The thing about St. Thomas Aquinas is it's not that he gave an example in his life about leadership or how to lead an organization or group of people because he didn't do that. But Thomas Aquinas' leadership came in, in other forms. It came in his dedication to God. It came in his vows of religious life in the Dominican order when his family wanted him to be a Benedictine or, or part of an established community. It came in a lot of different formats. I mean, the, the, the strength of his mind and intellect vis-a-vis -vis the university and the predominant way of thinking of his day. There's many forms of his leadership, but... The reason we follow Aquinas is the depth of his thought. He laid out and mapped out for us a roadmap of human behavior. He kind of decodes the human heart and describes all the laws and the workings of, that go on inside of every one of us. So as we look at how we need to act as a leader, by looking at Aquinas, we gain a perspective that's rooted in the Word of God and that's filtered through the tradition of the church and that is pure and beautiful. And that's what I wanted to give to each one of you during this course. And we said, we, we talked at the beginning about how leadership flows from great ideas. And great ideas is vision. It's, it's at the heart of what we do, but it flows from ideas into strategy. And that's where I want to focus in today. Okay, so let's begin at the, the source of it all, right? So if I want to do something, I want to engage in an action that causes the actions of others. If I want my life to have an impact and an influence, be it in the family, be it in society, be it in my business, right? How do I bring my presence to bring other people where I want them to go? It all begins with vision. It begins with having a sense inside of you of, of having a goal. You know, the easiest way to not get to where you want to go is to not know where you're going. <laughs> right? It's just one of those simple kind of things. But it's really true. If people don't follow you where you're, where you're leading, ask yourself if you actually know where you're trying to take them. 
I mean, if you can't boil it down and say it in simple language, it's really hard for people to follow after you. This is one of the, the crosses of a visionary kind of personality is that a visionary has the grace of going towards an ideal without having to bind themselves to the concrete vicissitudes of actual circumstances. The great thing about visions is that they're always in the form of a perfection. Uh, you know, I always imagine something without worrying too much about all of the details. So I think of that wonderful house I'm going to buy in the countryside and it's going to have a big wraparound porch and it's going to have a white picket fence in the middle of it, right? So, and we can totally forget that we live in a part of the country where that doesn't even, it's not even possible, right? That's not how, or it's way out of our price range, etc. Dreams jump over the fences that bind most mortal beings to their fate. And so a visionary leader has this ability to speak about freedom. Th their very vision breathes hope into the hearts of other people because it's precisely describing where you're not yet, right? And so where you are looks painful because it's full of truths. <laughs> At visions, we can put truths on the side for a little bit, you know. It's like that old way the Irish used to say, never let facts spoil a true story, right? So, and, and then there's something to that, right? Because when you have a vision, you have a, a dream, a desire, well, you have something that's incredibly true. Otherwise, you wouldn't cling to it. It's just that in the concrete way that it's going to be lived out, well, that's not yet been discovered. Okay, so the power of the dream is in its perfect form, in its ideal form, and the power of a visionary thinker is not only to be able to come up with those visions, but to be able to communicate them effectively. And this, in fact, is really where the genius of effective visionary leadership comes in. Most of the time, we want to say that visionaries are those who come up with new ideas, but an effective visionary is someone whose new ideas they're able to boil down into a convincing and attractive proposition for followers to engage in. That's a whole nother set of skills and it requires thinking. It requires a ton of effort. I remember I'm reminded of that quote by Abraham Lincoln who wrote a letter to a friend and he said, I'm really sorry that this letter is so long. If I had more time, I would have made it shorter. Right? Or if you listen to the great writers, the poets, as they, as they edit and edit and edit to go down, to boil down to the real essential where their poetic inspiration is pure and clean. The greatness of a mind is to have an idea, yes, that other people can follow. And I'm reminded of Steve Jobs who took his, his staff with Apple on a famous uh, trip, a strategic planning thing. They had two days of meetings and their idea was, was to come up what, with what we can do in this next year as a company. And so they met for two days and they came up with a list of about 10 things that they said, we absolutely have to do this next year. And Steve Jobs famously sent them back and said, okay, we can only do two of them. 
And his staff said, that's impossible. You, you have to do more than two. And he said, nope, we can only do two things. And he forced them to really focus down and to prioritize amongst their many things, the visions that they had for where they needed to go to really come down to the two things that they could actually do as a company and succeed at. And there you have an example. He didn't, he didn't have a criticism against visions. It's just that the visions have to also be persuasive. Like think of it when you're thinking of your companies, what your mission statement is, or your vision statement, right? Can you say it in five words? This is just a great challenge, right? Because it's very hard to do. It's much easier to go on and on for a half an hour about what you do. But when someone says, what is it that you do? Imagine if you could say it in five words. It'd be a lot more powerful. This goes all the way back to Aristotle in his writings on rhetoric, where he says the whole point and the mark of excellence for spoken language is clarity. Clarity. Right? So if a person speaks clearly, they will be convincing. And this all is, is essential to us because we have the obligation as Christians to make an impact in the world in the name of Christ, to raise the dead, to cure the sick, to preach the gospel, to instruct the ignorant, and so forth. We have to carry on the very mission of Jesus Christ in our classrooms, in our hospitals, in our families. Okay, well, to do that, we need to go to that essential wellspring of ideas called the gospel and the Holy Spirit and work with it. Allow those ideas to find a culminating expression that's clear, winsome, attractive, ideal, yes, and yet one that stirs the hearts of humans that listen. When we do that, we're able to then sit down and really go to this, the next stage, which is the make it or break it stage of any type of activity. And that's the planning stage, the stage of strategy. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. You know, we're talking about strategy and the importance that we have to plan in order to bring an idea to, to influence others effectively. And I think immediately, of course, of the Gospel of St. Luke. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 33. He says, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sends out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. I'm really struck by that. This is, is an example of Jesus Christ himself speaking to us about the place of strategy 
in our Christian life. Obviously, it's very different to talk about strategy in the Christian life and strategy in the business. But what amazes me is that even our Lord speaks here of the necessity that we have if we're going to engage in action to plan and to calculate. And he uses it, of course, in, in reference to the knowledge that we all have to have. You have to renounce your possessions in order to get to heaven. So to go from point A to point C, that is from earth to heaven, there is a, a renunciation of possessions that has to take place. Now, of course, what does that mean? That means, you know, in spirit, etc. right? So because not everybody's called to take a vow of poverty, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying if you love the things of this world, you'll be tempted to close your hearts to God. And Jesus knows this. So he's saying, okay, if you really want to be my disciple, you have to renounce your possessions. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time, right? So it's pretty simple. All right, so then you get to make the choice. But you know that to get to point C, you've got to go through that point B. He's laid it out there for you. And he said, make your plan, therefore. Just like a general would make a, a plan. Can I defeat an army that's coming at me with 20,000 people if I only have 10? Or if I'm going to build a tower, how much is it going to cost me? And Jesus actually applauds that. He wants his apostles to be prudent to think things through. Remember what he says? He says, be as simple as doves and as prudent as serpents, right? What is this, this prudence that he's talking about? And what is this calculation he refers to here in, in Luke 14? I mean, we see it in the apostles. We see Sam and Peter saying, okay, when we have so many converts to the faith, the apostles cannot wait on tables and be effective. So let us, and he makes a plan. Let us choose seven proven men, the deacons. Or when St. Paul has to make his way into these towns where no one knows Jesus and preach the gospel of Christ, he doesn't just do it willy-nilly. He does the same pattern every time. He begins in the synagogue, makes converts there, and then goes, follows those converts to their homes where they invite their friends and he goes deeper and he creates a network of contacts called the Christian community. But he does it in the same way every single time, right? So there's a strategy, in other words, that he's deploying, just like Peter engaged a strategy, just like Moses was told in the book of Exodus to employ a strategy at when his father-in-law Jethro comes and says, you cannot govern 600,000 men by yourself. You need to have captains and field sub-captains underneath them and pass on your authority. And Moses does just that. There's a lot of examples in the Bible of strategy. And that's because the human intellect needs this phase of planning in order to execute well. I have been puzzling for many years as I work with men especially about this great question. Why is it that whenever you speak to a group of men, it almost always comes down to the same message. You need to quote unquote man up 
right? And you hear that again and again and again and again. And, I, and I, you know, I've always wondered, what does that mean to man up? Every time I go to a men's conference, I'm told by the, the speakers that I need to man up. What exactly does that mean? And I thought, well, what they're trying to say is you actually have to do something. You have to move to action. And I smiled when I thought of that because I think of the many stories I've had of wives who, who told me that, you know, I tell my husband to do something, I tell my husband to do something, and he just doesn't do it, right? Like this type of nagging that we hear about a lot. It, 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 I always smile because I'm like, well, listen, if you've been married to the guy for 15 years and nagging has not yet worked, maybe there's a different technique that you can actually employ. Like maybe there's another way to motivate his action. But as I puzzle over it myself, I said, well, what is the way to motivate to action? How can we get people off of their couch and effectively doing something to make the changes in the world that they want to see? What's the secret to execution of action? And there are many, of course, there's not just one, but I think that one of the keys to unlocking consistent execution is being sure that the person knows what they're supposed to be doing. Lack of clarity about how to act will give place for fear and confusion and then in the end, lack of morale, lethargy, discouragement when actions are needed. When the going gets tough, well, everybody seems to run away. <laughs> it's like, so why is it that everybody seems to run away? Because you don't know what to do. No one wants to fail. The, the first law of motivation is to remember that nobody wants to fail. If you want to motivate someone into action, you need to tell them about how they're going to be victorious. You need to give someone the key to victory. Well, what's the key to a victorious action? It's knowing what you're supposed to do, knowing what to do in case plan A fails, knowing what to do first, being given the tools for how to do it. Execution, in other words, needs to almost be automatic. It needs to be something that you can do easily, clearly, because when you're executing and you're in the process of doing something, man, all kinds of things can come up. You can have changes that happen, people that quit, different circumstances on the outside. You need to be able to focus on those things to be able to meet those challenges. The last thing you need to be worried about is how am I supposed to do it? Do I have the tools to do it with? What am I supposed to do first? What's the plan? If I can give my team a clear plan, well, I will enable them to execute so much better. And I go back to this, even in your families, because it, it, it's the same thing in family life. Why aren't my kids doing what I told them to do? Why isn't my husband doing what I told them to do? You know, why is my wife doing what I told her to do? Like, well, go back to it and say, if there, did I give them clarity? Did I give them a plan? Did we spend time understanding the value of what we needed to do? And did we understand how we were going to accomplish it together? It's like that old adage, failing to plan is planning to fail. Well, let's talk about this some more. How in the world can I do that effectively? And how can my faith help me to do it better? Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart 
and an entrepreneur's mind, visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. You know, talking about planning and the, the role that it has in our action, it always situates between the vision and the execution. You know, there's kind of a funny saying that people have that, you know, you need to do ready, aim, fire. And what most people do in small businesses is they do ready, fire, aim. <laughs> That's right. And it's not just in small businesses, right? It's in many aspects of our life. We just kind of jump into the thing and we figure it out as we go. And that's fine. You can, you can succeed when you do that. It's just that you'll fail a lot more often too. It'll be a lot harder as you go. If you take the time to, to measure twice before you cut, odds are you're going to cut the right length. And we want to put odds in our favor. We don't want to lose. When we have to talk about parenting teenagers in our family, my goodness, how am I going to parent my teenagers? Well, let's sit down and think about it. Let's sit down and make a plan. Let's talk about it with my spouse. How's each one doing? What do they need in this next month in order to further their growth? Let's bring it out and vocalize it. You know, there's, and there's different techniques for, for doing that, from writing things down to putting things on a calendar. But it begins with this knowledge that, hey, if I'm going to win in my influential, influential actions, if I'm going to lead my family, lead my business, lead my world, well, I need to be able to have that freedom to sit back and think how I'm going to do it. You know, the, the Wright brothers are a great example of this. I, I love the, you know, Orville and Wilbur Wright, these two guys from Dayton, Ohio, they ran a bicycle shop and they solved the problem of the ages from their bicycle shop in Dayton. <laughs> I know there's a lot of controversy about uh, is North Carolina the first in flight or is, is Ohio, right? And Ohio says it's the birthplace of aviation. North Carolina says it's the first in flight. But the, his, the fact is that they solved that problem in the bicycle shop in Dayton. They built there. They studied there. They drew there. They, and, but to think these two very unassuming kind of characters had the genius to bring the dreams of da Vinci and the myths of Greek mythology to actuality in our own time. It, it really amazes you. I mean, what they've been able to accomplish, these two guys. They had vision, they had grit, they had daring. But the secret to their, their success wasn't just those things. It was that the two of them planned out and thought through the issues that came their way with scientific precision. The, the, the secrets of flight weren't solved by human bravado alone. They had plenty of that. I mean, they crashed their glider a thousand times on the hill of Kitty Hawk as they were trying to find the right recipe to solve the different things. But they would go back and read and study and think and recalculate and recalibrate. The greatness of the airplane isn't just in the courage of the one who flies it. It's in the calculation and the meticulous measurements of those who built it. I mean, they had to solve all kinds of problems. From, from how you turn the airplane in flight to how you keep the nose from going up and down 
to how the strength of the engine needed to catapult it and how that engine would need to be made of a different type of material just in order to be light enough to have both the force to bring it forward but enough of a lightness to not overbear on the airplane. I mean, if you think about all of the different variables that they had to think through, it's an incredible masterpiece of engineering. And the beauty of engineering is when it works, right? And so the execution of actually flying the plane is one thing, but the, the, the beauty of flight was won by people who looked at strategy. And this is, I think, a, an unsung part of leadership. It's the calculative ability of the leader to go and look at their reserves and their resources and measure it against the goal to be achieved in the present set of circumstances. And this is the key for all of you. Write this part down, okay? <laughs> You've got three things to calculate. Number one is your resources and whether you have enough and what they're made of, etc. You need to balance those resources against the end that you're trying to achieve. So you have to have a real clean vision, a real clear approach and ability to see exactly what it is you want to achieve. And then you have to look around you and measure what you're trying to accomplish against all the circumstances from time and place and markets and attitudes and sicknesses to in each day and in each moment, apply your resources in those circumstances to achieve the end goal. It, it requires an incredible amount of drive and desire to get to that end goal, yep. And it requires an incredible amount of thought and knowledge of the resources that you have. But the leader applies those resources in their circumstances. This is why leadership essentially is calculation. I have to constantly be aware of how to adjust the sails given the wind that is currently blowing in order for me to achieve the course in front of me. Just like the Wright brothers, in order to get that plane off the ground, had to think back about the materials they were using and the cost that it would take and how to assemble it and every possible thing, the small details. But this is what leadership, where leadership shines. And the more that we place ourselves in those details, the easier execution becomes. This is where Christ calls us to be, not just in the big thinking, but in the details of the little things that make or break the enterprise. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.